how to build a life. And I mean, technically, this is how to build a life after abuse, but I'm going to start a new series on this. Um, I'll keep some of the other things going as well and keep building those. But this is one thing that I feel like you need to have. And I was like, it's so complex. How do you build a life after losing almost everything? Okay, because no matter who you are and what leaving your abuser looks like, you always end up losing things. And as much as I wanted to be like, oh, you're getting a whole new life. Like legitimately, you're working through a lot of issues and you're going through a lot of drama and you're maybe losing people and you're having to start over and you're having to relook at everything. Okay, so it's really, really hard. <laughs> and I, like, I always feel so bad because I want to be like, oh, it's, it's great. All you have to do is X, Y, Z. And I could sell you some self-help book and tell you that it's easy, but it's not. Tell you that if you follow some 12-step program that it'll all be fine. But that's not true either. Instead, it is a very slow, gradual process. And one of my favorite sayings is that slow progress is literally the best progress. It has the most likely chance of being long lasting because it's something that you build gradually into your behavior, into your thoughts, into your emotions, into your beliefs. And so slow progress is amazing. And that is one thing to appreciate as you start building a life is that slow progress. And so I'll give you like real life examples from my life. But when I, when I thought about this and I was like, what is the first step? Like, how would I have described it if I could go back and give advice for the most practical way to build a life? And honestly, it would be to be practical. You know, I was trying to think of something like really good, <laughs> like just so encouraging. Um, but, but I, if I'm honest, it's just be practical and you have to be practical because you're losing a lot, because you're probably losing support because you're trying to recover. You have to be selective about what you spend your time doing. And as you're selective, your priorities end up becoming very practical things. So what I mean by this is if you look at my personality profile on the internet, there was this really cute personality test that I took and it popped me up. I think I'm an INFP. It's been a minute since I looked at it. But what stuck in my mind was the image that they had with it. And it was this girl with flowers in her hair running barefoot through a field of wildflowers. That's my personality, guys. I could be so chill. Like, I don't have to be in the driver's seat. I prefer to be in the passenger so I can look at everything all over me like dogs who watch for squirrels outside the house. Okay, I like to look at everything going on. Um, I don't have to be the one driving. Um, organization is not my strong point. Uh, I like to have fun and think of fun things to do and fly by the seat of my pants and be spontaneous and love people and be friendly. And sometimes I do like to isolate and read, but like none of those things are practical. Do you understand? And so like my personality is built for doing a people job where I interact with people. So rather than like a service, I do better just in people interaction. But I had to do practical when I left my abuser. And so I was not built for it. And I feel like maybe this is why I'm saying it is because if my personality could learn practicality as the basic first step to building a life, anyone can do it. And there were hard practical things. There were some easier practical things. My dog, that's the one that sticks out in my mind the most. I always hoped that I could get him back. Um, I can't have an, a pet where we live now. 
and I don't have it set up to move right now. So we're here for another year and I signed the lease, but I still like always held out this hope that I could get my dog back. And um, I found out that my ex gave him away to some family I don't know and I'll never get him back. Which is sad. And I love my dog and he was such a cuddle buddy and he was soft and fluffy and his name was Oscar. But when I first had to give him up, I was living with my grandparents and Oscar, they offered to watch him one night, but then they shut him upstairs by himself, peed on the floor. They flipped a lid. There was already so much tension at that point in my grandparents' house. This was all before the family member who was a pedophile that they tried to bring around, right? Um, I love my dog. He was a comfort dog. If I was crying, he would curl up next to me. But I found myself knowing that if tensions at my grandparents got worse, there's a good chance I could lose my place to live. Now, listen, those were my instincts and they were freaking spot on because eventually when the tensions became too high, they did force me to leave. They were like, you have a month to get out, right? But that was the pedophile situation. And so I knew it. And my instincts were saying, Michaela, if you keep Oscar here because of how they are, and they had a dog. And their dog would pee on the floor. And then she'd be like, he never does. It must have been, no, their little dog peed all the time. But wasn't my house. And I knew that if I tried to keep the dog, I could lose the place that I needed for my kids. And honestly, that's my practicality. I love my dog, but I needed a home for my kids more than I needed my dog. And so that was honestly probably one of the most hard, difficult, heart-wrenching practical decisions I had to make and then it was like when I found this place because when I was looking for housing originally I was hoping to have a place where I could put a pet deposit down and I like even saved but when my grandparents said I had a month to get out because I told them that they couldn't bring a child molester to stay the night overnight regardless of health issues he was having when I had children in the house and they flipped a lid and told me that I was disrespectful and I had a month to get out with three kids in the middle of a pandemic. It was fun, it wasn't fun, it was awful. Um, I found my place now and I'm so thankful for this place. But I asked my landlord before I moved in, I was like, can I do pets? He's like, I don't even allow goldfish. Um, I'm just not doing it. So the benefit was that my trailer was really clean and really nice and had great carpet because he didn't allow pets. The flip side was that I would not be able to bring my dog. And so it just kept getting put off. And it was really, 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 really hard. But I only got this place because my landlord was willing to take a chance on me because when you're starting over, you have nothing. So my rental history was tied up with my ex because he was still living in the apartment that we had lived in for, the two bedroom apartment we had lived in for nine years. Um, I had no job at the time because it was the pandemic and schools had been closed. I worked uh, part-time baking and cleaning houses if I could get a house to clean. Again, practical. I hate cleaning so much, but it's necessary for life. So I will do necessary cleaning, but did I want to do it as work? No, I did not. But did it bring me money during the pandemic? It really did. And so here I am trying to make money. The landlord is like, the only reason I really gave you a chance is because your kids listen to you. In rare form, after they did lots of no-nos, they <laughs> listened to what I said and he was impressed. But like, here I am, I'm going to lose the place that I have to live in the middle of a pandemic. And I've been looking for months, okay? Like newspapers, driving around, calling, finding out that there's waiting lists. And honestly, because of the pandemic, people just weren't moving out. So there wasn't a lot of housing available. And then I found out that domestic violence victims struggle all the time to find housing. 
And so I was stuck in this position where if I turned this place down because I couldn't have my pet, there was a good chance I wouldn't have anywhere to go. And if my kids and I ended up in a shelter, I definitely wouldn't have my pet. And there's a good chance that my ex would use that as an excuse to take back the kids telling the courts that I was incapable of taking taking care of them as their mom. And so I had to become very practical. And like part of that practicality also was in accepting that my abuser was not going to stop being abusive. That regardless of times he might say something semi-nice, he was not going to quit his behavior. And I had to accept that and remain mindful of that as I made decisions. Because if I wasn't practical about it, I might believe some of the crap that he said. And then I might count on some of the things that he promised or said that he would do. And then I would be in a really bad position because he didn't ever follow through on anything that he said he was going to do to me. I mean, like very rare. And so I took a place where I couldn't have my dog. I didn't count on anything for my ex and it put me in a good place. I worked jobs that I didn't like. Um, I got offered a job. So I got here. So it was in a different town. Um, got the kids into the school here. So they were back open then. Then I got my daughter into daycare and I got offered a job as a housekeeper at a recovery facility. And I was grateful. Did I want to be a housekeeper and do this like really physical work? No, 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 I did not. Is it literally one of my least favorite things to do? Yeah. But at the time I'm going to school, trying to finish up my associates and then I'm applying for colleges and finding out that like, if I go to the college I'm at now, I could apply for this scholarship and that they would work with me. I would just have to go to school like a college student. So I'm trying to do all of that. I'm working part time and working my butt off and I'm being practical. When I had to think of stuff that I could bring from Oklahoma with me, I would I stored some of my stuff at my friend's house who I really trust. She does not have anything to do with my ex. And it's still there because I haven't been back in so long. But I took the really important things that I, I wanted, but I didn't have room for in the van to her house. And then I very practically put as much as I could like under the seats everywhere in my van before I drove it here. And so I had originally started, with, it was two van loads because I, I went back one time to get more things. And it was practical, but do you know what that practicality meant? I left a lot behind, almost everything. I, when I was going through my stuff, thinking about what to bring, I kept keepsake memorabilia that, you you know, it's not useful. It's just memorabilia. Took that to my friends. Then I packed anything in my van that I could use. And I thought like, I don't know what I'll do. Maybe I'll bake sometimes and sell it until I can get another, you know, job. And I had no work history. I hadn't worked in so long. I'd volunteered, okay? And I had been, you know, a waitress for years before I had kids. But my work history was bare. So I brought stuff that I could use to bake so that I could sell what I baked and hopefully have some money to take care of my kids. Then um, I used some money that I had in savings to make the trip to leave. And then I used some of my kids' money that they had in savings. So they've been paid back, uh, but I had to initially use some of that money to be able to leave so that's why when I say like if you want to know the best way to help yourself to leave an abusive relationship even if you're not ready yet or if you're helping someone who's been in an abusive relationship is help them to stash cash I had to hide cash guys and it was hard it was so hard so like if you can make sure that someone has a safe place to store money or like a bank account even set up in their name somewhere But cash is going to be the most useful because then even if they have to run and it's an unsafe situation, they can have cash. And um, it's practical. You you see what I'm saying? 
And then I had to get new social security cards. Thankfully, I knew birth certificates. That's why I talked about getting extra copies of like government legal documents. That way, if you need to leave, you have those copies ready to go and you have those in a safe place that you can take with you. I became a very practical person. I worked a job that I like didn't care for. I liked the people I worked with most of the time, but I didn't like the job. But you do what you have to do to take care of your kids. And to me, it was like I had to excel at everything that I did because if I failed in any way, my ex would try to use that as an excuse to take them from me. So I had to be above board in every area of life, it felt like. And it was under this immense pressure to perform because I was afraid of losing my kids. You know, he had threatened to take them and I didn't know if he would follow through on that threat. So I was doing everything in my power to take care of them. But that meant sacrificing. I bought almost all of our clothes at Walmart and Dollar General for over a year. And, I, and not just at Walmart Dollar General, the clearance racks at Walmart and Dollar General. I don't even think Dollar General is selling clothes anymore. But this is where I got it. Um, I got sponsored by my school. That's how I got some furniture. But then I reused secondhand furniture and painted it. Got clearance paint from Ace. And then I painted my stuff. I would put together these shelves. And, you know, if you're doing cheap, it always comes in a box. And you have to put it together yourself. And it was hard. And I'd mess up. But I'd do it again. My uh, cousin, she would help me uh, put together some of the shelves and it was really hard and we made a few mistakes, but we did it. So here I was doing whatever I had to do. Oh, living in a trailer. Okay. When I was younger, we lived in this trailer and it was, it was gross. It was gross. Um, you know, like we had lived in a house before that and uh, the, the hot water didn't work. So I guess the gas bill hadn't been paid one month and the bathtub would shock you. <laughs> and it was awful. And I had to boil water on the stove to get a warm bath. Okay, so then we move into this crappy, crappy trailer where the kitchen sink doesn't run or drain. And it's disgusting and backed up. And so I had to do dishes in the bathtub with the towel. And even though I cleaned, so I kept the trailer essentially clean. It was such a crappy trailer. It was gross and old and it smelled weird and the linoleum was pe peeling up in different areas and it had just had it was gross the landlord didn't take care of it it's way different than my trailer now but honestly I was a little bit horrified to live in a trailer again as an adult with three kids because my experience had been so awful but truth be told when I was looking I was like I, I'm practical I have to find a place to live my grandparents have been like you have a month winter was coming it's the middle of the pandemic I saw pictures of this place come up and I was like Oh, that's really nice. And I'm like driving here. I've got the address in my GPS and you know, it's in this different town away from my grandparents, which honestly is kind of amazing. And I, he said, call when you get close. Sometimes people need help with directions. And he gave them to me in my head. I'm thinking, you know, that sounds a little bit like trailer directions. And regardless of my past trauma with the trailer, I choked it down. It was hard. It was hard to admit that I might be a single mother going back to school, working part-time, making jack for cash, living a low income and living in a trailer. I wouldn't be like, that's the dream. But practicality says if you sacrifice for a while and you take really good care of yourself and your family, that eventually you can work to building more. And so my practical self was like, okay, you know what? Trailer? Yes. Yeah. So I looked at it and it was clean and it's so nice. It's so nice. My trailer is so nice. Um, and I'm so thankful for it. Like other than not being able to have my dog, it's been amazing. My kids can play in the yard. We have uh, little neighbor kids that are kid friends with my kids. My neighbor is my friend. My landlord's right there for uh, easy access. He has come over multiple times the same day that I have had something break down and he fixes it. 
he also like mows the grass so like I have been so blessed I really have it's just that I had to be practical my van has 300 and almost 20,000 miles on it and so I hope it keeps going um I'm also hoping to save for a down payment for a new car but again I'm practical which means I make sure I get the oil change on that car because I need it to run longer so I take good care of it even though it's an older car because I'm still in a position where I need it. So I have to be very practical. I had to get this job. And so like I was working this housekeeping job, which I already did a a podcast episode where I hinted about why I eventually had to quit that job. But um, I was thankful. It was only about 25 minutes for me, if that. And I was paid relatively well for doing the housekeeping. It was a lot of hard labor, but it provided for my kids. Okay, when child support, when they were pushing that through and my ex was threatening me, if they pushed it through, it was like, you know what? That child support's going to be very practical. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm just going to let it go through and do what I need to do. And then emotionally, I would say, Michaela, if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to regret it. You have to be practical with your mental and emotional health too. So I started counseling as soon as I found out that my medical coverage would help cover it. Um, I advocate hardcore for counseling and there's a reason. There's something so beautiful about having someone who has an outside perspective, but they also have the knowledge and the expertise to help you. And I'm not saying just marriage counseling that can be so toxic when it's involving an abusive relationship. Taking care of your mental emotional health with a counselor who is an advocate for you helps. Even if you're just bouncing things off of them. I would be like, okay, this is happening with my grandparents. Am I crazy? I knew I wasn't, but it helped to be able to explain the entire situation with that piece that comes from knowing that what you're sharing is confidential and then feeling like, okay, I can say exactly how I feel about it. I ended up having a lot of petty feelings that I had to handle and I needed to handle them because petty Michaela was coming out a little too often in different ways. And I was like, I'm not going to live my life like this. I need to be practical. I need to take care of my emotional health. And so I, I advocate, I advocate for this because it's so vital and it is practical. You might think, oh, it's not that practical because it costs or it has this going on or I'm not comfortable. At the same time, if you don't take care of your mental and emotional health, you're not going to be able to function at a capacity that you need to in order to be able to recover from abuse. And then you're in a hard spot. Go easy on yourself. Okay? I just want you guys to get to build. I would listen to that song um, by Chris Stapleton, Starting Over. When I first moved, it came out literally about the same time I was moving into this trailer. And it like I had all of this hope. And I had all this good that I wanted, you know, this move to be and starting over in life to be. But I also had a very practical outlook of I might have to sacrifice here. I might have to go without things here. I might have to make this work over here. It meant applying for assistance. And, you know, that can be embarrassing. Paying with a food card, there's still some amount of embarrassment and shame that I feel when I do it. But at the same time, it provided food for my kids. Practical. When my college um, that I was attending offer to sponsor my family for Christmas. Is there an element of like, oh my gosh, they definitely know I'm struggling as a single mom? Yeah. Yeah. Did I suck that up so that like my kids could get this awesome Christmas? Yeah. Um, 
I needed the help. And maybe that's one of those practical things that you can do is ask for help, but you have to watch out who you're asking it from. For me, trying to go to my previous support system, they were no longer supportive of me, right? Because I left my abuser. I had to go to different places and people to look for support. So like I advocated for myself and found a domestic violence advocate, okay? I was going to counseling. Um, I had found another church that I was going to. So like I looked for places to go that were different from where I had been. And I would practically ask for help when I need it. I would ask my Aunt Sharon if I needed a ride. Like, let's say I had to get my car worked on and I'm in town. She would take um, take me back from the car place to my house until it was ready. And then uh, I have a cousin and they will watch my kids for me, which is uh, like not all, all the time, but like once every couple of weeks, uh, their 15-year-old cousin, my cousin, I guess, I don't know how that works. So they're my cousins and it's their daughter. She will, so she's like my second cousin or something. Um, she will watch my kids for me. And so it's kind of really nice, but I had to ask for help. And like part of that was just admitting like I can't do this on my own and I'm trying really hard. And when you lose your support system, it's really hard not to feel kind of hopeless because, oh, you want the help, but all the places you could have looked for before, they're no longer there. So practically you have to look at what you actually have and what you can actually do and look for outside sources of help. It is literally one of the most practical things you can do. And honestly, sometimes strangers are way nicer to you than anyone else when you're going through hard times. Not always, but sometimes. And then you practically build your dream. Like you can leave and wish for this like dream life where everything's amazing and you can feel so great about leaving your abuser. But generally it takes time. It takes time. So one of the best things that you can do is day by day, step by step, slowly work on building your dreams. So I was working, but I was also going to school because I knew that I couldn't just keep working. I wouldn't be able to take care of my kids. I wouldn't make enough money. I wouldn't be able to take time off. I'd have to pick up another job. So my answer was to go back to school. I don't know what yours is, but you pick up a new dream and then you practically work out how you can slowly start getting there while honoring the fact that you're human, the fact that you'll need rest, the fact that good really solid progress is built slowly and then you take it a day at a time and even if you're like me and you want rainbows and sunshine and wandering through the forest barefoot you learn to make practical decisions and it's valuable and one day one day we'll have the uh, freedom to be (laughs) a little more liberal with how we spend our time or the decisions that we make but for now we do it because we're investing in our future the one that we have where we're free from abuse The one that we have where we're taking care of our kids, where we're doing well and we're happy. And that's what you're building and I believe that you can do it. And so I'm going to keep adding to this. But again, practicality is your best friend while you recover from abuse and you build a life. Until next time.